Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Housewives Tonight. I'm your host, Rit. As always, guys, thank you for sticking by me as I took a little time off again. Basically, the month of January and some change, although I guess mostly the month of December as well. Look, last year was long for all of us and very painful in so many ways. And on top of that, I worked on five shows, so I was a little exhausted by the time December hit. And this is, of course, my favorite thing to do, but it's also a bit of an endeavor in itself because it takes, like, you got to watch the shows, then you got to take notes on every scene, and then you sit down and do the recap, and then you edit the podcast, which, like, I'm not complaining because nobody asked me to do this. I'm choosing to do this myself. But, you know, after a certain point, it's like, if I'm exhausted while I'm doing this, the podcast is going to be boring and slow, and nobody really wants to hear that either. So I took... January to really figure out what direction I want to take things in and I am going to be slowly Introducing more interviews into this because that's what I really enjoy doing. I did a couple with the family karma cast last year, which was really enjoyable because Honestly outside of the show gossip and all that I'm really interested in the impact being on these shows has had on The cast members and the real housewives and how have their personal lives changed and can they tell the difference between who they are on the show and who they are in real life so All that stuff I find super fascinating, and I want to start to kind of dig around there. Also, fun fact about my history with interviews, I used to work for this show called AVS, which stands for Asian Variety Show, and it is like the longest-running Indian movie, um, sort of like Entertainment Tonight show that airs every Saturday, and it kind of recaps like what's happening in the movie industry, and it plays like the top 10 songs of the week, and like it it was my favorite show growing up, and uh, when I was in college, I begged the guy who does it to hire me as like an intern and so he hired me as an intern ended up working out and I started I basically worked there for the summer and kind of worked my way up and it was such an amazing experience and uh, he's still a really close friend of mine but one of the things we did was uh, we covered the red carpet premiere of this movie Vanity Fair do you guys remember this this must have been like 2004 2005 it was a movie with Reese Witherspoon it was it was a period piece and Basically, he was like, do you want to go on the red carpet and do the interviews? And I was like, what? And honestly, this would be something that would excite most people. I found it terrifying because it is chaotic on the red carpet when you're not the person walking down and posing in a dress. It is you're shoving people out of the way to get your mic, to get their attention, to get people to come over to talk to you. And I was a freshman in college at this time. And I, you know, as a late bloomer, I wasn't the most confident. I wasn't the most assertive person, right? So... I, I remember shopping, I went to Macy's and I got this like jacket that I thought was really kind of cool and modern and I was like, yeah, I'll be like this like this cool reporter on the red carpet. Fine. Get to the red carpet, kind of elbow my way up front and Reese Witherspoon walks over. And I was like, here we go. And I asked her a question, something about like, did she enjoy, because the movie was directed by an Indian director and a lot of it, there were a lot of like Indian themes in it, which was why we were covering it in the first place. So I asked her some question about like, did she get to learn a lot about Indian culture? And she was just so lovely and so polite. Like, you know how she's like, hi, you know? So she gave me that whole thing, like her, she explained like how fun it was to work on the show. And I had, a, or the movie rather. And I had a second question and her publicist pulled her away and Reese turns around and she mouths, I'm sorry, which was like the kindest thing that could have ever happened. Okay. So we get back to the studio and I was like, here it is, my first big interview. We pop in the tape, he presses play, and the footage reveals Reese walking towards me, and then the camera cuts, 
and then it cuts to her walking away from me. The camera guy did what in our industry we call a double punch, where you hit record twice and you think you're recording, but you actually turned off the recording. So I have no physical record of this moment in time. You just have to believe me that it happened. And so since then, I think maybe part of me is like, I want to make up for that fact that I don't have that golden moment, that golden interview on tape, and I'm going to become the best interviewer there ever was, and I'm going to have a hundred amazing interviews on tape for the world to see. So maybe that's part of like the secret fantasy that I'm trying to, you know, uh, see through on this podcast. So God willing, I'll be getting, I'll be doing more interviews. I'm working with some people to find some awesome talent from all of our favorite shows, and hopefully we'll be having some of them come through the Housewives Tonight doors. And it'll be a good time. So uh, 2021 is the year of the interview, but I'll still be doing my news updates and my recaps. And uh, I hope you guys will be along for the ride. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, that out of the way. Speaking of news, I thought, let me do my Dallas recap, but I'll throw some news headlines up top. Let me see what's going on, right? So I click around on Google, and it turns out basically every city has some shit going down. So I think we need to just get into all of that stuff. Let's do the news, shall we? Oh, yes, I miss that music so much. Okay, our first news piece comes out of Dallas. This is about Dr. Tiffany Moon. I have a lot to say about Dr. Tiffany, and I've said a lot of it on my Instagram, but basically, okay. I I actually, I do really like her. I do think sometimes she has, um, unintentionally, she's a little stuck up and a little, um, a little maybe patronizing or condescending. I don't know. But I also think that maybe that they all are and maybe that's just what we expect. It's, um, I always felt really weird about her being on the show because we all know what happened with Brandy in the off season. And To me, it felt like a very literal choice to just bring on the Chinese woman. Like, okay, guys, it you know, it didn't seem super imaginative. It's like, let's put Brandy in the hot seat by bringing in a woman who, like, you know, Brandy made fun of, whatever. So I just think, I just think that choice was a little weird. However, she actually is very much a solid housewife, right? She's super wealthy. She's successful. She can dress. I mean, her interview looks, I think, are stunning. So she actually does have all the makings of a housewife. However, currently, Tiffany, uh, this is like as of, you know, the last hour, this article came out about Tiffany wondering if she is going to be a one-hit wonder. She says, I don't know. I might just be a little bit of a one-hit wonder. It was a lot in terms of the time away from my family because normally I work and when I'm not working, I'm with my family. But this time I was at work and when I wasn't working, I was working. So I didn't see my family for much over the summer. Ask me again in 12 or 13 weeks when it all finishes. I'm not sure I'm the sort of housewife that people want to continue seeing. I have no idea. Which is realistic because look, there's the process of shooting these shows, which is obviously exhausting. I mean, they are really shooting nonstop. It's not It's not like they just shoot for an hour a week because that's what we end up seeing. I mean, they're shooting every day. So imagine that you have her career plus the two little kids plus you're filming the show and then you're kind of reliving everything right now. So as it's airing, you're getting a lot of blowback from people who thought maybe you were too hard about the chicken feet, which that's a whole other thing. Okay, so let's get to the chicken feet part of it. So Tiffany's co-star Cameron recently claimed that Tiffany was a fan of hers before joining the show, and the mother of two doesn't deny this. This is from the article, by the way. 
In fact, that's one reason why she was pushing Cameron to try the chicken foot. Tiffany says, I was excited because she is Cameron Westcott. She is the queen of pink and a Dallas socialite, and how funny would it be if she just put a little phalange in her mouth? Certainly she's had worse things in her mouth. So, all right. I, I'm, I don't really enjoy Cameron that much. I think she's actually like a little more dangerous than people think. Like she's very sort of close-minded and she's very, um, I find her to be actually very like patronizing and condescending and she's, uh, there's just something about her that doesn't sit right with me. I, I think her, I think in this day and age to lean into this like blonde pink thing is not cute. It's actually a real disservice to yourself because it's not even, it's just not a thing people do anymore and you have so much more to offer. And I just, I mean, it was cute maybe for one season and kind of funny, but her not knowing words and not knowing this or that, like weren't we promised that this was all an act and she's actually very intelligent? Cause I'm not seeing it yet. And you know, there's, there's book smart and then there's emotional intelligence. And to me, her bigger shortcoming is like, fine, let's just say she doesn't know words or you know, whatever. Okay, I don't care. To me, the bigger issue is that she lacks emotional intelligence. Now, what do I mean by that? An emotionally intelligent person would be at a table in that restaurant and see that they were being offered food that, okay, maybe they didn't want to eat it, fine. But understand that you were at a Chinese restaurant, therefore, this is probably a food that a lot of Chinese people eat. So it would, it would be in the best interest of making that person feel comfortable if you weren't acting so disgusted and repulsed and like Stephanie and her gagging noises and like, oh, I can't do this. I understand you don't want to try it and that's fine. And of course, yes, Tiffany was being very pushy, but she also was not physically restraining you and shoving it down your throat. Like there are a hundred different ways to ignore it and to just say, no, I'm not going to do it and just move on. Okay. No one was forcing you to do anything. So I just feel like the women could have been more respectful of the fact that this is something that is very n normal for Tiffany and that's her culture. And as a person, you know, I've seen people say things about Indian food that is like so disgusting. And to me, it's like, you know, that's what my mom makes. That's what I grew up eating. And so it feels very personal. And when you're not, I'm, I'm gonna go there guys, when you're not a white person in this country, you do walk around with a little bit of like, oh God, I don't fit in. Everyone can see I look different. I don't belong here. Let me try to blend in as best I can. And then when you feel comfortable enough to start to extend little pieces of your culture for people to share, and their response is like, ew, what is this, ugh. You feel like an alien. You feel like a foreign, like not even from a different country, you feel like you're from another planet, and it's such an uncomfortable feeling. And so I'm actually not that surprised that Tiffany's response was this sort of like defensive thing of doubling down and being like, what, just try it, what's the big deal, just try it. So I actually, sided with Tiffany uh, there and really, and even Stephanie, I was not a fan of her, her gagging and all that stuff. Like it's just, it's just not that big of a deal. It doesn't have to be so dramatic. And there are two types of people, right? There are the people who understand that you're from, that you're from a different culture and that they're respectful and don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. And there are the people who think it's more important for them to express their own disgust and that their feelings on the matter and their opinion on your food, it's more important that I get to say how I feel regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you. That's what the whole thing felt like to me. So I didn't respect a lot of it. And I think that's where I actually enjoy Deandra very much because Deandra has traveled a lot more. And so I think she, like, even if she didn't want to try it, like she, she didn't make a big, 
to do about it, which I which I really appreciated. So um, that's basically what Tiffany talks about here. She said, sometimes my kids, sometimes I feed my kids food that they don't like. Oh, sorry, no. Sometimes my kids feed food they don't like from the table to the dogs. She could have just set it aside. She didn't have to set it on the floor, but if she's going to be the queen of etiquette at restaurants, is that part of the etiquette book that she read? Which is true. If you're all about etiquette and society, part of that is making people feel comfortable and feel welcome. And I don't think that was that. was that. And the whole stereotyping thing Cameron got into where she's like, you're stereotyping your whole country. I just, I'm not even gonna get started on that because I don't wanna go there, but I just found that to be so stupid and offensive and idiotic that it's not even like enjoyable for me to get into all that. So I'm gonna avoid all of it. But okay, then she got into this thing with Carrie, which I think is really fascinating. I don't know if you guys, this is a few weeks old, but all right. So basically what happened was um, she and Carrie got into it over how Carrie pushed her in the pool. I think this was a couple of weeks ago or whenever that whenever that happened. And Carrie posted something about like, oh, I found the perfect, uh, I have the perfect necklace for you from my line, which was the snake necklace. And, uh, <laughs> okay, sorry. I think this is very funny. So, Tiffany says, there's some level of jokingness among the group and that's fine. Calling me a snake is not fine. I was viscerally upset at that comment. Also, my honest opinion is that that necklace is hideous and I can't believe you're selling it for $1,400. So what Tiffany did, did, excuse me, what Tiffany did was, she posted that she thought the necklace was hideous and then she donated $1,400 to uh, animal charities instead of buying Carrie's necklace. And so she took this moment of shade that Carrie threw at her, which was Carrie also promoting her own shit. And she not only called out Carrie's necklace for being hideous, she took that amount of money and donated it to a charity. Which is really, I mean, that to me is, that's a wonderful housewives move. And this way you're engaging and you're not doing the Meredith, I'm disengaging. You're still engaging, but you're also turning this into something to benefit a good cause. Like that was a pretty badass move to me. So I am currently team Tiffany. Whew, okay, wow, that was just about one thing. Okay, now we're gonna move over to Beverly Hills, which like, this is not a very long news item, but you guys, we didn't really talk about this. Like, I think I did a news piece on like the very, a news piece, cause you know, I'm Time Magazine. I did, I think I did a little news thing. <laughs> that feels more appropriate. I did a news thing on Erica and Tom's thing when it first broke, but not any of the subsequent, all of that dirt that came trickling down. Now Erica has moved out of her $7 million home in Pasadena into a $9,500 a month rental in LA. I thought these two were bankrupt. I thought they had no money. This place is 2,000 square feet. It was sold last year for 1.54 million, which actually like isn't really that much out here. Um, And it's 25 minutes away from Pasadena and they showed pictures and of course it's beautiful. It has a pool in the back, wonderful landscaping, I love the paint color. I'm in the middle of trying to select a paint color for my living room. It's been a nightmare. And now I'm like, should I just stop? But now I have different colors of paint, like squares up on my wall and there's sort of no turning back. But everything about that home is beautiful. And she seems to be doing quite well. So I guess I don't understand what's really happening. Is she in a bad place? Was she complicit in all this Tom Girardi money nonsense or is she actually the one who's like escaping and she's going to emerge like happier than she ever was this is very i mean i do feel like no show gets more off-season buzz than beverly hills truly 
Which is why I stand by that show, despite how all of you seem to hate it very much. Hmm. Okay, now we're gonna bounce down to Atlanta. This is wild, and I'm sure you all heard about this, but I just had to say something about this. So, Mark Daly, Kenya's now soon-to-be ex-husband, um, who apparently last year did not want to even be on TV, and that's why he and Kenya bumped heads so much. According to Bossip, he is allegedly preparing to create his very own reality show centered around black-owned businesses and love. This seemingly, this is from the article, this seemingly could be what he was referring to in his public statement when he mentioned his plans to highlight important topics and use his restaurant as a community hub as the show will reportedly be filmed at his Brooklyn, New York restaurant and feature a celebrity co-star. Now, let me just tell you this. Anyone can say that they're going to be in a show. I could say that right now. And what does that mean? It means I'm shooting a pilot or a sizzle. Once you shoot that, someone has to buy it. Someone has to show interest and put money behind it and get the whole machine moving. You can't just make a show on your own. And I don't think that Mark has the charisma or the likability factor at all. I don't think anyone likes this guy. For him to have a whole show around his business and him finding love, like, are there going to be therapy sessions involved? Because the way you speak to Kenya and the way you belittle her, for anyone to be able to put Kenya down to make her, of all women, she's a, like her or not, she's a very strong personality, to get her to a place where she was completely defeated and her light was completely put out, you have to be a very toxic, controlling, manipulative person to accomplish that. So I don't think you should be finding love right now. My personal advice, maybe have some therapy because therapy is wonderful. No, just my two cents. Okay, now we're gonna move over to Potomac. I, I was good not really talking about Monique ever again, but shocker, she has resurfaced. And she basically, uh, this is very recent, I think this is like in the last couple of days, has been talking about how she feels she was held to a different standard at the reunion. Now, I don't wanna rehash all of that stuff. Should, you know, was she more at fault because she got physical? Is it more Candace's fault? Blah, blah, blah. We've all been there. She did say one thing that I sort of agreed with, which like, this is why I'm talking about it, because like, if there's a thing I agree with Monique on, my goodness, this should be announced from the rooftops. So, okay, well, the first thing she says is that she believed that Andy's responsibility as a reunion host should be to get down to the bottom of whatever questions may have been unanswered during the season. It is his responsibility to treat everyone equally. If you're going to hold one person accountable, everyone else needs to be held accountable as well. So I made this argument on Instagram and I got one person. This is the thing is like, I'm very lucky where I don't get a lot of nasty DMs, but I always get like one person who goes like really hard and then the rest are very nice. So I said that I think it's impossible for Andy to be impartial at this point. He's been doing this for years. He knows them all very well. And I think it would be boring if he was just like a news anchor and was 100% like had no stake. To me, it's funny that he is sitting in that chair for hours at the reunions and he eventually just caves and is like, well, look, sweetie, come on, you know? It's not objective journalism, but it's also not supposed to be journalism, period. I mean, this is a guy who is aware of what's happening behind the scenes and is part of the whole unscripted TV machine. It's a really weird dynamic, but that's what makes it so unique, right? Someone got really mad and they're like, if you can't see why it's a problem that Andy is biased and you are wrong and whatever. Um, and I just think it's unrealistic to expect him to be unbiased. I mean, he's not Tom Brokaw, so Tom Brokaw or, is he one of the people that got involved in a scandal? 
Who was the other one? Oh, Matt Lauer. His scandal was pretty gross. Um, well, insert a more a non-scandal-related news anchor there, and <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. So Monique then goes on to say, um, she was basically addressing the fact that people think that Andy was not as hard on people from other casts that have been physical. Now again, if you were to stack up all of the physical things that have happened across the board, this was a very long... <laughs> the physicality of this thing went on much longer than you know, Danielle dragging uh, Margaret, which was pretty gross. Like this, like this was a prolonged kind of attack, so to speak. So I kind of get it, but fine. So she says that, um, that Potomac needs to have a more diverse production staff. She said, you need to have that representation behind the scenes because not everybody understands other cultures that are outside of themselves. If they did, then you wouldn't get so much heat once it airs. It became, it becomes obvious that the diversity is lacking in that area. Now look, she's not wrong. I don't know what the what the makeup is of uh, the staff of Potomac, but you know, I'm never gonna argue having um, people of color across the board on the staff because then people can step in and say, you know, I've seen many times they'll use Indian music for Shahs of Sunset or they'll use Indian music for like a Middle Eastern like Arabian Nights party, and it's like these are not even like these are different cultures entirely. And if there was someone on staff or in post-production, who was Indian or Middle Eastern, they could step in and say, well, that's not accurate. Why don't we play something that is actually reflective of the culture? Because why not? Because I've said this before, believe it or not, there are people in the middle of this country who watch these shows and are getting their doses of other cultures from these shows because they don't live in diverse areas. So doesn't it serve everyone better to be authentic and accurate when we're talking about other cultures that are not, you know, about people who aren't white? Like it just... It just serves everyone better. And we know now more than ever that education and authenticity of representation really matters because I guess people in this country really get the wrong idea easily, just kind of run with it. Okay, now I saved the best for last, which is news out of Salt Lake City. It's not really news as much as it is Mary Cosby uh, addressing the allegations made against her church and speaking in the third person. <laughs> I just, I mean, some of these quotes are so funny. So basically, of course, she's like, do you think I would be in a cult and go on national TV? Of course not. Well, the thing is, a lot of people don't realize they're in a cult, you know? So that could be it too. <laughs> like, maybe you have to step outside of yourself or step outside of your, you know, overly uh, packed closet and see that maybe your church has cultish tendencies. I also think it's very unsettling for anyone who's a religious leader, to be that wealthy. I just think that's a red flag that you'd think like the parishioners or whoever would be like, that's a little weird that she has a fancy watch and I don't. <laughs> anyway, so basically Mary uh, says that she doesn't know if she's going to be asked back for another season. She says, <clears throat> how can I say this without being blunt? This is in reference to her not being in the rest of the season. It just wasn't purposely done, but they kind of tried to fade Mary out and didn't know Mary was going to be more wanted. Now, as we all know, and this is, I think, public knowledge at this point, that uh, she was supposed to be a friend of, and then she ended up being really well-liked, and they didn't have enough footage with her. And so my theory is that they shot, like, pickup phone calls with her uh, in her closet to kind of tie her into story, but it was during COVID, so she couldn't really come out and see other people. So they just got to her house and shot her on the phone. And so, you know, they did what they couldn't, that's fine. She said, I don't know that people want more Mary. However, I want more Mary. 
I think what surprised me was when I wasn't on the episodes, the spark that comes out with me was missing. Oh, is that bad? Like my absence, it's clearly there. Now this is one of those quotes where they had to put parentheses to like fill in the parts of the sentence that made no sense. So she says, I don't know if I'll do this again. That's a strong question. And I think I need a little more, I think I need a little harvesting. I think it's premature. I mean, would they want me back? <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna leave that there. It's like, on, on one hand, I am fascinated by her because we have never seen anyone like her. She's a little bit like a Ramona in terms of like the wide eyes and like things not connecting in her brain and like synapses kind of firing, but not really, you know, not really sparking anything of substance. But there's also a lot of darkness there. And when you see how much of a hoarder situation she has going on in that house of hers, that's usually indicative, as we've seen on hoarders, for example, that's usually indicative of some kind of trauma, which is, you know, really unfortunate. So we know it's coming back for a second season. I'm sh I mean, there's no way she won't be back on because she's obviously a lightning rod of controversy. Um, and yeah, I, I do want to see a second season. I think we I think the basics are there. And it was it's a very unusual cast, very unusual dynamic, beautiful setting. I'm I'm very curious to see more. This is sort of like the Twin Peaks or like the David Lynch, like that kind of like bizarro, surreal elements that exist in this iteration of Housewives that we don't see anywhere else. So I'm excited for season two. Whew, okay, guys, that's the news. All right, shall we touch down into Dallas? Dallas, real Housewives of Dallas. I don't know why I'm saying that. Okay, so we are coming off of, in this episode, this Carrie and Deandra rivalry, which I... I feel like I'm missing something. I understand that they did some trunk shows together. She feels Deandra is being selfish. By the time we get to the end of the episode, it's a little clearer to me what's happening with this dynamic. But in the lead up to it, I mean, I have never seen anyone just consistently skewer and brutalize someone the way Carrie does to Deandra. And I was actually really rooting for Carrie after last year. I think she deserved a redo because she was kind of fending off Leanne and Leanne was such a monster last season. So I was really hoping that she would kind of come back like much more free and whatever. And unfortunately, I understand that she's having these personal issues, but she's also just not there's like a there's like a hard edge to her that I just don't love. It's she's not particularly fun or pleasant to watch. Otherwise, I have to say I actually am really enjoying this season. There is something very I feel like they've kind of stepped their fashion game up. I think aesthetically it's looking a lot better. It's looking really polished. And I, you know, and there's a lot of humor. So I am really enjoying the season. But to me, Carrie is kind of the dim spot and Cameron. I mean, I already said how I feel about Cameron, but Carrie especially. It's like, at least with Cameron, I understand why she's on the show, I guess, because of like the stupid pink nonsense and like the socialite BS. But Carrie to me is like neither here nor there. And even her family seems a little iffy on her. Okay, so we head into this. They're at the winery. Deandra and Carrie are in the midst of an argument. Then, okay, so then Stephanie announces the panty game, which is essentially uh, a bunch of people decorate underwear, and <clears throat> the recipient has to guess, I guess, who decorated the underwear. So, makes sense to me. So, of course, like, you know, uh, Cameron has the most boring one. Stephanie's has hair coming out of it and poop on the back, which the, the pleasure that Stephanie and Brandy derive from poop is 
I mean, it's honestly funny because they're, it's not just like a pass, like they're always talking about poops and farts, which um, I guess that's funny. I mean, you know, it's what brings them together. And Stephanie's uh, also says something about uh, Bungholio, which reminded me of Beavis and Butthead. And the two of them, I think this has been said before, but let the record show. I I had said this about Stephanie and Brandy before this became a thing that they remind me of Beavis and Butthead because they both have that like, (laughs) like the way they laugh together um it can be endearing i'll be honest i mean it's a little juvenile but it it is refreshing to not see that kind of stuck up like i'm too good for this humor thing and it is very unique to them i don't think anyone else on any other city really derives this much pleasure out of um uh pooping okay then carrie makes a toast and she says deandra uh you're doing a great job and like rolls her eyes which felt so extra so then Carrie talks about her birthday and how she woke up the next day and wondered who she needed to apologize to. And Tiffany kind of jokingly brings up she needed to apologize to her for pushing her in the pool with all of her clothes on. Carrie says that she's all about helping people get loose, and Tiffany says there's a difference between that and what she did. Carrie says that she's repeating herself and she needs to let it go. All right, now this this thing comes up where Tiffany is like, I have kids, I have a job, I have to be available the next day you know, with my full presence of mind. And Carrie doesn't really buy that as an excuse. And so Deandra chimes in and tells Carrie that, you know, Tiffany's responsible for saving people's lives. And Carrie says, oh, quit being so dramatic. I don't think she's being dramatic. If you guys watched Watch What Happens Live after the show, you really get a sense of the kind of stuff that Tiffany does at work. And it's not dramatic. She really is responsible for, like, full lives of people. So, you know, maybe this is the first time on a house, I mean, she's certainly the first the first anesthesiologist. Um, this is so bad that I can't remember off the top of my head. Have we ever had a housewife that's a doctor? Ugh. I know we have married to medicine, of course, but I don't think we do. So this is the first time we're seeing this kind of push and pull of being a housewife that involves a lot of partying and drinking, but having to really be present the next day to do your job. And this is where I sort of want to challenge Garcelle and Beverly Hills to be a little more present this season because she was just fully MIA last season and she's like, oh, I was working. Maybe because she was on location for films or whatever, but I just think if you can do what Tiffany does, I mean, there really is no excuse to not. I mean, Tiffany is there. She is like full time and she is there. And Garcelle got a full cast member billing, but she like wasn't there. And when she was, some of her moves were a little off, but... I hope she's getting more camera time this next season. And I think I think she just said that a lot of the cast is coming for her. So um, anyway. All right. So then Cameron jumps into this argument and she was like, well, you're mad at her for being pushy, but you were bossy to me at dim sum with the chicken foot. It's like, really, let's let's just let's just let it go. And let's just say that she had pinned you down and forced the chicken foot down your throat you would still be able to wake up the next morning and do what you do. And I think Cameron, um, you know, Cameron is a mom to kids, which is like a full, full full-time job. I totally get it. But eating a chicken foot is not going to render you incapacitated the next day. Whereas her being drunk on tequila would actually be a problem. Okay. Then this thing happens where... I I lived for this moment. It was like such a multi-layered moment where, so this whole time Stephanie and Brandy are kind of watching and like, oh God, what is happening? This is like too much fighting for a birthday lunch or whatever. So Tiffany kind of calls out Carrie for saying that she 
was two-faced and she's like I'm not being two-faced. Two-faced is when you say one thing to one person, one thing to someone else. I think what you're saying is like hypocritical or something like that. And she says, oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't know all the words. I'm Mexican. And Tiffany says, I'm Chinese. What does that have to do with this? And they cut to Stephanie and Brandy. And you guys, please go back and look at this shot. The two of them, you could literally see their thoughts were like, oh my God. Okay, so we know we're not supposed to talk about where people are from or make fun of them. But what do we do when two people who are from different countries turn on each other? Like, is that bad? Is this allowed? Like they, this just blew their minds. And so to watch them, watch these two women one Chinese, one Mexican to be like, yeah, and so what if you're Mexican? I'm Chinese. Like, it was such a fascinating dynamic. And this is why, maybe Carrie's not the one, but this is why, look, now you have a cast, someone who is Mexican, someone who is Chinese, and they are turning on each other. And the dynamic is so riveting to me. I love it. And this is why we need more of this across the board. Like, look how interesting this has become now. Okay. Then Cameron brings up the whole COVID girl thing. She's like, you got, you were so mad at me for calling her COVID girl. And then you called her COVID girl. I mean, the examples that Cameron gives, and not only is she giving these examples, they are on the ready. I mean, she, maybe it's the editing, but I don't think so. She has these examples just in her little pink pocket and she just whips them out one after the other. And these are like old stale examples too at this point. I mean, she really, and this is, I think, what Stephanie's issue was with Cameron in the past, too, is that she's so petty, and she can't let shit go, and she holds on to, like, the smallest little thing, and as Stephanie said a couple episodes ago, that you just have to, like, apologize and move on with her, I disagree. I don't think that you should let Cameron get away with this nonsense of holding on to this dumb shit, like, she doesn't deserve an apology for this stuff. Okay, so we're in Act 2 now, Brandy interrupts and wants everyone to get along and not fight. And they should just talk it out. And Cam's like, well, we are. That's what we're doing. We're talking it out. They're literally screaming at each other across this table. And then Carrie makes this move where she's like, well, you guys don't know what's happening with me. Um, My daughter is suicidal. Now, I, you know, it's a tough thing to comment on because I don't have you know, knock on wood, like this is not something I'm intimately familiar with. So I certainly don't want to not carry for bringing this up. From an outsider's perspective, it feels like a very private thing for your daughter, which granted she shot a whole scene about it, so I get it. But to bring it up in this context, to kind of defend yourself in a group of women that are arguing, you know, I something felt a little cringy about it to me, and I don't know how her daughter feels about it, the fact that she brought it up to these other women. Again, Yes, she shot a scene with it, but that was like a mother-daughter scene, right? To know that it's coming up and now it's circulating among the women, they're like, we had no idea, why did you ever tell us? It's it's a little uncomfortable. And I almost wonder, like, do you guys, and you can tell me what you think, do you think that Carrie now owes it to her daughter to let her know, like, look, this came out among the women and now all the all my friends know, you know? Do you think she owes it to her? I don't know. So I, I am kind of glossing over like some of like the drunken shopping stuff because there was a lot of interesting story here I want to get to. So that kind of comes out and like Deandra says that she didn't know about that and Carrie claims that Deandra only talks about herself. Now I'm a person who years ago a friend accused me of only talking about myself. And let me tell you, if you are someone who does this and you don't realize you're doing it and someone calls you out on it, it is definitely a slap across the face. I took that very hard. And we're talking, this maybe happened 10 years ago, okay? 
not a big deal, wasn't a big fight, but they just brought it up to me and I was like, oh my God. No, because listen, who wants to be that person? We all try to do our best as friends and nobody wants to be the person who is called out for being a bad friend, especially because then you start to go through your head and you're like, well, I've done X, Y, Z for this person. How could they say that? I've learned in that situation, if the person feels like you are not there for them as a friend, understand that that's just their perspective and not necessarily the truth. But if that's how they feel, that's one of the situations where you kind of respect it and you say, okay, maybe I'll just make a point now going forward to make sure I ask the question, what's going on with you? Because, you know, if you have a lot going on and Deandra sounds like she has a lot going on and the person, like a lot of times you can ask and that person is like, oh, nothing really what's happening with you. And then you go off on your whole tangent about what's happening. You also have to be mindful of the fact that like, if you've been going on for like 25 minutes about yourself, like circle back and be like, but really like what's new with you? Because it shows that you're interested because a lot of us like do that cursory thing at the top of a conversation, like what's up with you? And we say nothing, but really a lot's going on. So maybe, maybe it would be a value to kind of circle back and be like, but really like Carrie, what else is happening with you? Anything, anything at all? How are your kids? Like maybe get a little specific and get that information out of her. So I do understand where Carrie is coming from if she feels like she's been wrong and her business isn't doing well. And so that can obviously take a big toll on her. Um, all right. So then we're at this bar with this guy with this crazy long beard. And there is something really funny about this pandemic era of shooting where it's just our cast in a bar. It's actually kind of fun because they feel like really empowered to just go wild. So I didn't mind it so much. And you know, this cast together, like when they're drinking, I think is a lot of fun. There is this moment where Tiffany and Cameron at the bar are off to the side. And it's like one of those things where they kind of just like swirl around the bar and uh, like catch people having snippets of conversation. And Tiffany is like, you know, what's funny is I wasn't always Dr. Moon. I used to be Dr. Sun. And Cameron is like, oh my God, no way. And Tiffany's like, I never told you that. And it's this really sweet moment because the two of them have not been seeing eye to eye where they like kind of like bonded and were really happy. But this also speaks to the level you have to speak to Cameron at for her to give you the time of day and to like you is like, I am now Dr. Moon. I used to be Dr. Sun. And she's like, oh my God, opposites. That's so funny. And now like you have her attention. <laughs> okay. Then Carrie and Deandra kind of hash it out on the side. And I kind of just talked about this, but basically then Carrie gets a little deeper and says that if she divorces Eduardo, she has no money. So her pressure is a lot more. And so to me, it seems like the, the issues that Deandra comes to Carrie with, perhaps Carrie perceives them as first world problems. And as much as Carrie likes to project that she's having a good time and she's sort of like into fashion and fun and she's like easy and carefree, because the vibe I got from Carrie is that she's one of those people who's like, don't let it bother you. Here, take a shot, have fun. You know, like we all know people like that who like don't want to dwell in the issues and the problems. But oftentimes those people really need someone to pull the problems out of them. So maybe Deandra just needs to be a little more aware of that going forward. That said, if Deandra felt like Carrie, or sorry, if Carrie felt like Deandra was being selfish and one-sided, it's like, I don't know that being hyper-passive aggressive and jabbing at her every five seconds, I don't know that that's the solution either. So I think there's, I think there's a little work that both of them can do to come to the middle. All right, so then they go shopping at Rocket Fizz, which is uh, this amazing like 50s feeling candy store that there used to be one here in Burbank that shut down because of the pandemic, which is really sad. But also this whole time I thought it was a mom and pop shop, so I felt really bad for them. But to see that there was one in Dallas, I was like, okay, maybe they'll be all right. 
So Brandy tells Deandra that she can understand where Carrie is coming from, and Deandra still maintains that she had no idea what Carrie was going through uh, because she never said. Um, so this is out on the sidewalk, and then Deandra does that amazing thing where she slams her like um, face shield down and it falls off. All right. Now from the candy store, so they're shopping around. I don't know. Uh, they 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 went shopping at the candy store, but they also went to I think it's a different store that had the charcuterie board where they're spanking each other. And Deandra felt nothing on her ass. So they're doing a bunch of drunken shopping. Then they get to dinner and they sit down at another table. And I'm just like, you guys, I am exhausted for you. Because they started, you know, they had the the uh, van ride or whatever to the winery. They're at the winery for a while. They sit down. They have this big argument. Then they go shopping. And then they go to dinner. I guess it's not that much. But it just felt like, it just felt like a lot. So I'm tired for them. So they settle in. And Jen, who's that sort of Lana Del Rey looking friend of, says she's going to have her Odules, which is non-alcoholic beer, uh, in the wine glass, and you think the restaurant would care. Tiffany says, no way, girl, go for it. And Jen kind of reveals that she quit drinking. Then Deandra starts talking about how she used to be a cocaine addict and how her father had committed suicide. And um, then Deandra talks about how she's reaching out to her siblings and all that stuff. I have to say, like, Deandra does get a lot of flack for you know, the family money and the stuff with her mom and, like, the business and all that. To have your father commit suicide and to have a cocaine addiction, you know, those are two very massive life events, the ripple effects of which could probably be felt down the line. So that that is a lot. And I, and I do always forget that. And I think she and Carrie probably have this in common. Wow, light bulb moment for me. These two have that in common where if you were to meet Deandra out of the gate, at least the way we do on the show, you wouldn't necessarily think that she had a past with drugs or that her father had committed suicide. You would think that she's kind of like a little goofy, fun-loving, and has drama with her mom, but that's about the extent of it. Similarly with Carrie, until this season, I always thought, like I said, that she runs a business and she likes to have tequila and party and she likes to keep things light. Both of these women have a lot of pain, right, that maybe is not dealt with. And the difference is that I guess Deandra is maybe more forthcoming to her close friends when she has pain, or maybe not even about her like past pain, but whatever chaos is happening in her life, she's more forthcoming with it, whereas Carrie isn't forthcoming with it. And it's sort of like maybe Carrie in terms of life pain is where Deandra was at a long time ago. And now Carrie is feeling like those real, like, I mean, a daughter who is suicidal is a lot. Losing your business is a lot. And maybe Carrie is a little behind where Deandra was. And so now when Deandra comes to her with these problems that maybe Carrie doesn't think are as deep, Carrie's like, what the fuck? But in reality, they are very similar and they have a lot of pain in common. So I think there's a world where they could see eye to eye if they just kind of listen to each other a little more. All right, so, okay, then we have this tough scene with Carrie and her daughter, where it's it's her other daughter who's helping her with her business, and then the the topic of the divorce comes up, and the daughter just shuts her down. And, like, this body language, and even her other daughter, who's dealing with mental health stuff, the body language, I mean, they seem to have a lot of resentment for her, which is tough, because they're her daughters, and maybe they're going through a phase or whatever, but... You sort of, with these housewives that don't really sit well with you, you kind of want to see, you want to see someone who really loves them and cares for them, and you want to see 
that housewife through their eyes so that perhaps you can soften to that housewife a little bit. I mean, how many times have we seen a housewife who is super nasty and not really likable and then she gets around her kids and you're like, oh, well, this is a side of her that I really like or here's a really soft side of this housewife that I like. I don't get that from Carrie. I feel like she's doing it now on the show and then her kids are like, are you fucking kidding? <laughs> like, you want to talk about this now? So that scene was a little cringy. I am hoping for a side of Carrie this season that makes me like her a little bit because I don't, it's not that I'm like, oh God, get her off the show, she sucks. It's like, I really am rooting for her and I want her to give me something because I feel like she suffered at the hands of Leanne last year. Okay, now this final scene with Tiffany, I had another aha moment here where Tiffany basically opens up to her husband who, God love him, is very stoic. <laughs> really wasn't giving her much in the way of emotion, but he seemed very nice and supportive. Basically, she's like, I feel guilty that I'm not with the kids and I keep trying to achieve things, but I've already achieved it. And like, I wanted to climb this mountain and I've climbed it. And now I'm like, why am I even on this mountain? It's super relatable stuff for a lot of Asian families. And, you know, I got that pressure from my dad a lot, but he really, once he saw that I was doing something that I loved in TV, like obviously he's incredibly supportive now. And he really, I think, you know, it always comes from a place of also worry. Like if you do something that's not being a doctor or not being a lawyer or whatever, how will you make money? Because when you're from another country, oftentimes that's your perception of what success and making money is, you know? So now that Tiffany's done all that, she's like, well, what now? And I think the problem is that Tiffany spent so much of her life studying and working that she never really had an adolescence. And so she's confused about this stage of her life, like what should I be doing now that I've achieved something that takes people more years to achieve? I've achieved it in a shorter span of time, now what? I have the kids, now what? I have a nice husband, now what? And because there was no time for her to pursue anything else aside from her career, there's no other thing that fulfills her and excites her, it feels like. But this thing where she's like, why do I feel like I need my parents' permission if I wanna scale back on my career? The element that I think Tiffany is missing, and this is something that I discovered myself, is she feels guilt. And the guilt is that if I pull back on my job and spend more time getting to know myself and enjoying my, and enjoying my life more, I feel guilty. Because pleasure and relaxation is associated with laziness, and it's really just disciplined out of you as a kid. And I have that too, where I still feel guilt if I take a day off and I'm laying around because it was really ingrained in me to always be studying and working and what are you doing? Get ahead in this class, get ahead in that class. It's just something that a lot of our parents put on us. So I think Tiffany is missing. That's the piece that I wish like she was here so I could be like, Tiffany, this is the piece you're missing is you feel guilt about relaxing and not doing anything. And so her challenge is going to be giving herself permission to just enjoy her life and to figure out what smaller things she enjoys that have nothing to do with, with a career or making money. And that's gonna be a challenge for her. And based on you know that article I talked about earlier that was, that was just posted like an hour ago, you know, the morning after last night's Dallas, I think she is struggling with balancing this life as a housewife and her career and her kids. And I think she hasn't figured out that piece of it like, I personally think scale back on your career, do housewives and see the doors it opens up for you because you can do, and I know she's like selling these candles that she came up with that are based on um, the drugs that she prescribes at work, which I think is actually really interesting. I just, I just feel like she has so much to offer and she has an eye for fashion and beauty. Like 
there's so much more that she could do that I think this platform will open up for her. And I would think it would be a huge um, miss for the Housewives world and for her if she didn't stick with this and give it another season and kind of see where it takes her. But, you know, we're only on episode five of the season. We'll see where her journey takes us. But glad to see an Asian face. Glad Carrie is there and she's Mexican. You know, glad we're getting somewhere in this ongoing push for diversity and inclusion. Everyone's favorite topic. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for my Dallas recap and for this episode. It's lovely to be back. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Wives Tonight. As always, if you'd like to be more private, shoot me an email, wivestonight at gmail.com. And my DMs are always open, and I mean that in the less, the least creepy way possible. But I have some of the best and funniest and most enlightening conversations in my DMs. So when I say slide into my DMs, I mean it in the most wholesome, lovely way possible. Okay, guys, that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye.